Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. I'm joined, as per usual, by my fellow compatriots at Brew Hoop, Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are we doing? We're doing really good for a lot of different reasons. Uh, obviously, the Bucks result, which will be the main topic of discussion here today. My rec volleyball league season started, as we discussed last week. We got off to a blistering one and two start, and the team collectively agreed after the fact that I was by far the worst player on the team. And <laughs> there will be many people who are listening at home who say, as in podcasting, so in life. Uh, I, I agree with you. I understand bringing up the rear there. But I plan on coming back even stronger next week, uh, starting tomorrow. But otherwise, it's it's been fine by us. I, I'm good. I went to a concert down in Chicago Friday night. That was a blast. Um, Chicago is always a fun time to visit. And... Then Saturday was whatever, and Sunday got to watch the Bucks beat down on the Celtics. Can't complain about that. While also being super petty, and I don't know why you guys were surprised I was going to be petty. I wasn't surprised. It was just <laughs> like, you know, you really. You, it was a bit of a hiatus, and then just you coming back and me. I like hadn't looked at Twitter much, and then I logged on after the game, basically. And I was like, "Holy shit, Kyle!" <laughs> it was the, it was the, it was yeah, definitely the hour and a half layoff between the game finishing, everybody kind of moving on, and then Kyle busting it back out again. Like, what if we went one more time around? <laughs> why not just throw? There's just so much good stuff that I had to tweet, and I was like, "Why don't I just yeah. throw this out now?" That everything, all the emotions are called. Let me just hit some reality. That's all. Who? Yeah, that. Uh... That was a good tweet. So um, I I don't know where to go from here. Let, let's just talk about the Bucks bodying some some Celtics fools. So a one hundred one eighty nine victory. It sort of Bucks flipping the script on their usual game one performance. It looked like they were on course to to lay a nice dud from the start with like seven turnovers in the first six minutes or whatever. But my God, they really turned it on and looked like by far the more dominant team against the Celtics in this one. Headlined by. Giannis, 24 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists on 9 of 25 shooting. He did not have his shot really going at the rim. He, was, he wasn't he was really able to get his bunnies to fall. But 
he commanded this game, offense, defense, and I, I don't think we should go even any further before we should just take a break and talk about Giannis. I mean, what did you think about him today, Riley? Uh, excellence in motion uh, on both ends of the floor. This was the Giannis that we grew used to seeing throughout the season. Uh, it seemed to have kind of go away a little bit against the Chicago Bulls because they did a lot more of an effective wall defense it, through the first couple of games, at least. This one, uh, for a lot of different reasons, Giannis came out and he was attacking. He did an excellent job getting out of double teams. His passing was excellent. This was the exact kind of game that you come to kind of expect from what he's able to do and why he's that much better of a player. Because when you watch as the game wears on, you see like a Jason Tatum, who is the for better or for worse, it's the Celtics antecedent or the comparison for their Giannis. He, there was no easy looks. There was like not a single easy possession for him whatsoever. Uh, and it's not that part of that was the way that we played him defensively, but also, I mean, Giannis, you late into the game, the game is still sort of close and just the patience, like the confidence Giannis, he's on the perimeter sizing up a guy and he's like, okay, I'm just going to pick this apart. And as the game wore on, like he got better and better at navigating the defense uh, the shots, like a lot of them were pretty decent looking shots. So I would definitely expect him to hit a lot more of those in the future. So start to finish dominant performance. Like this is, this is, <laughs> we, we went into the series saying who's going to be the best player. Yana should be the best player. He should be head and shoulders above everybody else's best player today. One, one out of a potential seven best player by a significant margin uh, on either team. So this is exactly what you wanted from him. Honestly, with Giannis, it was kind of funny because he's do it was he was not getting anything at the rim early or often, and it didn't seem to matter because he was still commanding so much of Boss's attention that he was able to just whip out passes left and right. It helps when guys are hitting their shots, you know, when Grayson Allen is hitting it, when Drew Holiday hits it, when Wes Matthews like it was so beneficial for them to kind of be around to hit the shots that they needed to, that Giannis's passing was great. And then defensively, I mean, him and Brooke Lopez did not allow Boston to do anything to paint, didn't allow them to get to the paint. And it wasn't really until like the second half of the third quarter and then the fourth quarter, especially the fourth quarter when Giannis really decided, okay, I'm going to take over this game. I'm going to close this out. I'm not going to give Boston any more hope. And that's when he's able to get the and one where he kind of spins bodies off of, I think it was Jason Tatum, gets the layup for the and one. That's when he had Grant Williams on him, fakes him out, throws it off the backboard and dunks it. It was just like, it was plays like those where even after he is not getting anything at the rim and he is not, I wouldn't say he was not necessarily struggling. I think he was expecting calls and he wasn't getting those calls and I mean, everyone's going to talk about, oh, Al Horford and Time Lord did such a good job guarding him. It's like, not really. It's, it's just, for some reason, they were falling. It is what it is. But I think Giannis was a little bit, he was just a lot more patient. And even though some of the passes that he were, was throwing was kind of ridiculous in that, I don't know how you pulled off that pass in the first place, but he he just commanded so much attention. And I think this is where we were seeing like the increased playmaking ability of Giannis, where I think in the past, he would have thrown a lot more turnovers. He would have probably been more reckless. He would have probably just thrown shots up left and right. And in this case, he was able to kind of get those passes out to hit guys when they were needing to. And then defensively, 
I, I don't know what more he could have done. It felt like he wasn't really needing to do anything on the ball just because his presence near the paint was so formidable. And he still got a good block uh, and in like the third quarter on Jason Tatum. So honestly, it was and it was funny because like Giannis gets a triple double and he still has this like commanding performance. And had he done even 5% better near the rib, he's probably looking at 35 or more points. Rare is the player who, on both ends of the floor, you just, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you just can't help but see him, like, affecting the entire play. So, uh, offensively, he starts figuring out, like, what the rhythm is late into the game. He already started, like, kind of figuring out the Robert Williams, like, he's going to jump pretty much every single time and start playing that. Al Horford didn't have it for Giannis three years ago when he was already 67 years old. God knows 70-year-old Al Horford isn't going to have it for him now. And if I was Boston, the thing I'd worry about trying to slow Giannis down is he's like historically not his best or not his sharpest in the first game. And then he's just kind of like a Terminator Android type guy. He just sort of like figures it out as it goes along. And then on the defensive end, uh, a lot of prowling. He had a couple of possessions where he guarded Tatum, uh, you know, ISO on him or whatever man guarded him. And he was finding that what was most fun about watching Milwaukee's defense was you would have like three bucks, two or three bucks like really clogging everything up right at a pick and roll or point of attack. And then you could just see Giannis. He's the second line right there. Like just prowling like, okay, which way you're going to try and come out. And I'm going to be the first one to punch you right at whatever, like you try to get an angle around. And so you have like, if you're a Boston Celtic, you have to get past the first line of Wes and Drew. That sucks. Then you have to get past Giannis. Then if you get past that, Giannis has probably already bought Brooke enough time where, and we'll talk about Brooke too, masterful combination between those two guys. I mean, that's three levels of trenches you have to get past to get near like the rim. There's a reason why the Celtics only made 10 two-pointers in the entire game. I don't know how many <clears throat> shots in the paint they made. Ken have been that many, uh, all things considered. So it just Giannis impacting both sides and importantly on defense, even if he isn't the main guy, uh, he he's at least in this game, was able to play like that second level to such perfection that there was no easy like getting downhill and making Brooke Lopez have to make like a really hard choice. Like it, it helps everything flowed so easily off of him. Yeah, it was a, a really impressive performance. I mean, the, fa- the fact that you can go nine of 25 from the field, leave a lot of stuff out there. And I would say anytime he was on the court, I mean, he was impacting it in, in so many different ways. There's, I think he's, he, he might've started the game he started the game with the turnover, but he started the game also with an off-ball cut as Drew is driving. He's able to to snake through, get an easy dunk that way. Later on, he gets the ball. He would get in isolation against Al Horford. They would let him. He would get baseline against these guys. He happened to just miss a few bunnies at the rim. He wanted for for a stretch of the game. He just kept asking for picks and wanted Robert Williams because he wanted to take him off the dribble and. You know, Williams is a little more athletic, but frankly, Giannis can get past him. And if he gets Williams in foul trouble, it's it's all over. Like you said, Riley, late in the game, he was doing the pump faking. He had, I would say, a, a confidence, the mid-range stroke that we've seen all year from him. We saw the bounce off the backboard, which was just freaking incredible. All, then the, the, the playmaking, the patience that he showed, there was that crazy pass where he drove all the way underneath the rim and like he had a, he did, a, he, yeah, he had a backwards pass at one point. He did that crazy one underneath the rim, whips it out to Bobby above the break, like directly above the break, like an absolutely insane pass. The over the back, over the head pass, which was crazy too. 
Like I, the thing I was defensively, there was one possession where Jason Tatum has the ball late. Lopez is isoed on him in the corner. Tatum gets past him and he's like, okay, I'm home free. And then like, imagine just going up and seeing Giannis right in front of you. How, how are you supposed to try and make a shot over him? Tatum really struggled at the rim. The Celtics were 10 of 22 at the rim. 0 of 9 from 4, 4 to 14 feet. And then the, I, I was not worried at all about Giannis being able to score. He didn't score efficiently in this game, but he was obviously going to have to create a lot more offense for this team with no Chris Middleton. He was going to have the ball in his hand a lot more. Was that going to result in, I don't know, nine turnovers or whatever as he tried to make passes to people? But the passing was much more much more precise than we've seen in in past playoffs. He's, he's clearly leveled up like we've seen all year. And it, it was just a... a a virtuoso performance that this is the thing, Kyle, he does this and we are, we're all like, but he clearly didn't do a little bit more still. It was that it is kind of the funny thing. Cause as I'm watching Giannis, like, Oh, he's just absolutely dominated. And then I look at his box where I was like, Oh, he's not, I, I, I knew he missed a few bunnies, but he is really struggling for the field shooting wise. But I, and I think the only major complaint I had about Giannis was like the two fouls back to back that he had in the third quarter where I mean one of them he's fouling I think it was Jason Tatum like 30 feet from the hoop and I was like okay Giannis like that's a really stupid foul like that was the only like w- that was the one criticism I really had was okay that was a really dumb foul at a time that you didn't like you could not afford to do that thankfully Milwaukee was able to hold their own and still you know maintain the lead while he was sitting out but it it's the fact that everyone's looking at this and like, oh yeah, Giannis got a triple double and oh yeah, he's just a force on both ends. And we, we are not even like, it is impressive, but it's also like, we know he's capable of so much more. And I think as Riley mentioned, like Al Horford, everyone's going to talk about, yes, he's this Giannis stopper. And I think there was a stat early on that Giannis was like three of 10 when Horford was guarding him. I don't expect that to stay the same. We saw that happen in 2019 where game one, Giannis really struggled. Everyone said, oh, Al Horford's this Giannis stopper that the next four games, Giannis just kind of figures it out and then drops 30 every game. So I, I feel like that's going to happen again um, just because at this point, doubling him is not a good option because he can just whip it out to someone for an open three. Do you hope that maybe you're not going to be able to get away with trying to take charges the whole time? And as we saw with Marcus Smart, maybe taking all the charges will result in you getting hurt. There's nothing much Boston can really do except to just hope that some of these damn charges do go their way and Giannis gets an early enough foul trouble. And even then, it's like, okay, well, Budenholzer is definitely willing to play him a lot of minutes. Like he played 38 minutes, and, you know, if the game wasn't pretty much over by the end of it, he would have. He clipped 40. He played the whole first quarter. I don't know what you do if you're Boston. You're kind of just sitting there like, this was not even a great Giannis game, and he still was great. This is a classic game where, as Kyle said, wow, he's really dominant. And I would look at the box where we're like, oh, and he scored 40 points. It just happened <laughs> in this one that he, like, some of the bunnies didn't go. And that's really the difference between scoring 24 and scoring 40 points for Giannis. And, like, offensively, What's so dangerous about the Bucks is he makes things so simple for pretty much everybody else because it's like, okay, Giannis will take most of the gravity, pass it out to whoever. That first guy doesn't need to take the shot. Just like swing it once or twice. The opposing defense is already collapsed in or rotating or whatever. So just like move the ball a little bit and get open shots. And I thought it like such a simple base offense was what the Bucks needed. And they did a good job with that. And then it gives people the creative freedom to 
take advantage that once the Celtics start like anticipating that happen, then you have, okay, Grayson Allen's going to drive. Drew Holiday's going to do like a pull up three or, you know, he's going to try and go under the baskets. Um, you're going to have Bobby Portis do like a mid range shot. Like Chris isn't out there to do mid rangers, but Bobby is more than happy to take like mid rangers left and right and hit them at a like reliable clip. So it all starts with Giannis. We know that the offense around him is simple because you don't need anything more than simple because he is that great. And then that gives everybody a base off of which to do something a little more creative and take care of, or like take advantage of a defense who happens to be like trying to shade to try to stop that base offense. So it's just, you know, we say it pretty much every single podcast that begins and ends with Giannis, but he, he stepped up to the plate in a big way that uh, he needed to today. Yeah. And obviously without Chris Middleton, the Bucks were going to be reliant upon Drew Holiday. And I would say he, more than delivered. I, I thought his first half was a little muted, but he was sterling in the second half easily. Uh, 25 points, five assists, nine rebounds, eight of 20 shooting. His three-point shot was going as well. And really, I, I thought he delivered everything they needed from him today, Kyle. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm running out of words for this. I don't know. Like, it, it felt more as a... What more? I don't know. I, I, I'm honestly out of words. He, uh, it's like if Chris went down, Drew was going to have to one, not turn the ball over. And it looked a little iffy right away at the start. I was like, the oh. first, the first quarter is definitely rough. Seven turnovers. Uh, not great if, from the whole squad. Um, but I think, you know, I can't think of like one mistake Drew made. What, what's, most uh, interesting about him is he was so god awful finishing near the rim uh, in the net series in particular last year. But what's most important is like he keeps going for it. Like in the fourth quarter, he was like, "Look, I'm just going to shove Al Horford out of the way." Like that's how strong <laughs> Drew is. That a guy who is like easily six to seven inches taller and God only knows how many pounds heavier, Drew just little manned him multiple times over. And I'm trying to like think. It's been a long time since we last mentioned Eric Bledsoe, but think back to like the Eric Bledsoe offense days, right? Where again, a similarly like strong point guard guy, but the like his height wasn't there and the ball control and the decision making wasn't there. You know, games like this are the difference. It's like even if Drew, like he uses the strength drives, uh, he can either create for others, he's very good at that, or he goes up with it. Like the the difference in length and decision making is just it's such a leap for us. And that's why when you simplify down the offense, you don't need Drew to necessarily be like a traditional straight up point guard. Like we don't need that. Um, he did an excellent job. And I, I thought everybody did uh, of like reset the offense when we're coming down the court. Giannis doesn't have to bring it up, get it to Drew. Drew will initiate the offense. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Like, can you cleanly initiate an offense? And Drew's able to pretty much do that. So long as he's like on top of his thing, it doesn't start like, throwing the ball around stupidly, which he didn't in this game. Uh, steady set of hands. Like he chooses the right moments. It seems all the time to like, take like the out of or like walk up three or whatever. Um, yeah. I just masterful from him again. Who is, who was he primarily defending throughout the game? So Wes I, I had think he Tatum. was, I think he was on either Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart. I think he was on one of those two. The game, so it was interesting because the game started with him on Smart, Wes on Tatum, and then Giannis on Brown, which I actually thought was really smart because if you watch the Nets series, Brown would get 
Seth Curry on him, body him, and got a lot of buckets late going to the basket that way. And I think having Giannis on Brown from the start really threw him off his rhythm. I mean, he barely ever drove. He shot like nine of his 13 shots for three. So I thought that was a smart move by Budenholzer to start that way. But then Drew obviously moved around. It, Drew yeah, did move it, around. Um, and well, and then the only other fold is like uh, the beautiful thing about having to guard Marcus Smart is he's a net negative, god awful offensive player most of the time. So you could hide like a Grayson Allen out there and be like, we don't have to worry about Grayson Allen getting played off the court because Grayson Allen can give Marcus Smart. 15 feet of space and we're totally cool with that um so i think that's like to have drew as like you're attached to marcus smart to start games at least we'll see how it kind of goes from here but then he can kind of just roam off of marcus smart and help other guys out like it's just you know it all makes sense conceptually well the thing with drew i feel like that helped was he was getting the three pointers early and i think that kind of got him in that rhythm so it kind of it forced teams to play him out wide and wide and that's when he could just decide all right i'm gonna drive to the hoop and bully al horford to get a layup or i can get myself in a good mid-range spot and i can pass it to an open teammate or i can dump it off to Giannis if Giannis is doing a cut so i think that was the thing with drew's offense was he got those threes early on and that kind of allowed him to then dictate the how things were to go after that and i think we've seen at times where Drew definitely gets into that early rhythm. He gets those step, like kind of gets those step back threes. And then it's kind of like, all right, well, he's dialed in. And yeah, he was eight of 20. But again, it was kind of the same thing with Giannis. Like I would not have guessed based off his like shooting splits, like eight of 20. I was like, oh, I feel like he shot the ball better than that. And maybe because a lot of that was more closer to the rim. Maybe that was, there was a few times in the third quarter where he definitely kind of got a little bit into, I'm just going to dribble it out and kind of chuck up a three. And there was some early shot, uh, early in the shot clock threes that happened as well. But overall, kind of the same thing with Giannis. Like you look at Drew's box score and you go, oh, yeah, that was an okay game for him. Like we've seen him do better. But I think also his, at his impact on the defensive side was so great between him and Wes and Javon Carter. They just made boston's guards life's an absolute living hell and then if you and kind of like what you're saying right even if you get past that then you still have Giannis and brook like right there at the rim yeah we got we got to talk about the just the defense as a whole i mean it looked like so the 10 two-point shots that the celtics made today were the second fewest in nba playoff history in terms of two-point shots which is oh, and crazy. that's that's like going back to like they didn't even have a three-point shot type <laughs> yeah <laughs> type stuff yeah, wow. I, I mean, okay. absolutely nuts how they were able to hold them there. And I mean, I mean, the interesting thing is, so if you look at Clean Glass has 54% of their shots were from three. That's like not that surprising. Like the Bulls, for as much as the Bulls didn't like to shoot threes, like they tried their damnedest. They shot like 54 threes in the last game. Like they tried their best. They just couldn't hit any of them. But the defensive performance by the Bucks, this was, this was the thing for me coming in. I just, I, I thought they could be good defensively but I wasn't sure if they were going to be like this connected defensively and we saw that click in at the end of the Bulls series and for the most part the Bulls series was good but today I thought it was another level and I definitely want to shout out Wes Matthews who I I would say I've been a little bit critical of especially defensively a little get a little bit against DeMar I just I thought Drew should have started on him he put in a lot of work today against Jason Tatum and frankly I, I thought he was huge in terms of being physical Drew, that really, really bullshit um, 
offensive foul call against Al Horford. That was sometimes you just need like he, that's like what PJ Tucker would do last year. Sometimes you just need a guy to do that. That was probably one of the worst calls of the game. Um, but <laughs> but for the whatever, like Wes Matthews, we we've been a little critical, but I would say Riley his defensive performance today was was huge in terms of also setting the tone on the perimeter. And then inside, if they got inside, they were barely able to make a bucket. He put Jason Tatum in hell. And the only thing keeping Wes Matthews from having an A-plus game was him deciding to dribble on a few possessions the first (laughs) quarter, which was, I mean, some of the most asinine basketball ever. Hey, man, know your role. Shoot the ball. But he more than made up for it on the defensive end. The, The second half, I think, was somehow even more impressive from him because you expect starting a game, have a couple of days off. You're like, oh, of course, you're going to come in with energy. Everybody's got energy. No big deal. To keep it sustained, he played 29 minutes, only has two fouls. And most of those two fouls, he's like the kind of guy who plays with intelligent fouls, like just stops the player or whatever. Um, to go into the third and fourth quarter, and I mean, he was blowing it up. Jason Tatum did not have a single possession where he got the ball like a handoff and didn't have Wes Matthews like, oh, oh, oh. Like he was all, he was like, just like watching him do Kung Fu or something. It was like the strength and discipline to not allow Jason Tatum to get any sort of freedom. Or if he does to like, let's say there's a little bit of separation, which Wes does get sometimes because he fights through screens, but obviously he like foot speed isn't super duper high. Like obviously he's fine. That's no big deal, but that's like maybe the weakest part of his defensive game. And yet as it was in the Bulls series, as it will probably be in this one, when you're facing hero ball merchants, the key is like, one, knock them off the rhythm. That was a question going into this. Looks like we definitely could do that with Jason Tatum. And then if they get away from you, when they get to their spot for DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, that was like mid-range at the elbow. Or Jason Tatum, kind of similar, um, assuming he doesn't get stopped at the second or third level of the defense. Um, The discipline to like, do not jump up into them, just try and like get in their way, like put the hands up, whatever, make it difficult for them to even like comfortably get a shot up. That's the best you can do. Wes did that. No problem. Uh, Starts with him. And then like the whole, you look at like pretty much the entire line. Like I, you have to give credit to pretty much every guy who played any sort of minutes, like Bobby Portis. I love the fact that he's out there with mobility. I think the fact that the idea is literally just like, let Al Horford shoot threes. Bobby, you just like, you do the hedge as much as you want. We want that. Easy for him. Brooke Lopez, great. Drew Holiday, great. Giannis, great. Javon Carter, super duper menace. He does like smaller Wes Matthews, menace at the point of attack. Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, like we can like hide you for the most part against Marcus Smart. And then you just have to be there to kind of do like muck up passing lanes or like make sure a guy doesn't get a clean drive. So I thought... Everybody who played, like, the principles are all there. I don't think any of the principles are any different from what we usually do. It's just the execution is at such a high level. Everybody understands it so well. Uh, Wes Matthews just happened to be the biggest stand-up because we heard from everybody that Jason Tatum, potential MVP, no, no, he's not. If this game, this game was any indication, no, it's not the case. You let Wes Matthews, who is a certified NBA retiree, stop you. No. No, no, no. <laughs> so I, I I said Wes Matthews is doing exactly what we were hoping Shemi Ojale would do. And wow. the thing with – and I think it, with Wes, it also applies to Drew and Javon Carter. Boston went into this game, I think. They thought maybe we'll just like bare knuckle box. 
and Milwaukee decided to pull out brass knuckles and hit him in the face multiple times. Like, that is how it was. Like, Milwaukee's physicality, I think, completely caught Boston off guard. And it was, you know, whether it's Drew just being in someone's face, Wes Matthews was phenomenal on defense. Like, that, I've not seen Wes Matthews play that well defensively. I agree with Riley. You don't need a dribble. Like, there was an instance where he had it right there in the corner. It's like, just shoot that ball. Don't. And then he got a turnover because he stepped out of bounds or travel or something. I was like, bruh, you're wide open. But, and even Javon Carter had moments like that. But I think with those three, it was just kind of a, they brought their physicality and it bothered the living hell out of Boston. And Boston was not ready for that. Boston, I don't know if they expected it or not, but they got hit in the mouth. Like, it was kind of one of those where, Milwaukee punched them. Milwaukee completely manhandled them. And if you're the Celtics, you kind of have to say, okay, well, what? how do you counter that? Because they're gonna, Milwaukee's probably going to keep doing that unless the referees decide not to. And that's the only thing that's going to stop them. Like, Javon Carter is going to be in your face. Like, he was picking them up, like, at three-quarters of the court. Wes Matthews is going to blow up a few screens. Drew Holiday obviously can blow up a few screens. And I think the biggest thing for Milwaukee was that physicality and getting more and being able to pop the ball. Like Grayson Allen had a few times where he was on a guy and then he would be able to like get his hand and pop a ball out. Bobby Portis did that a few times and that created fast break opportunities for Milwaukee. I think the Bucks had like 28 fast break points. And I think they just came in physically ready to bring the brass knuckles while the Celtics just, did not expect it. And maybe, and a lot of that probably is because they just played the Nets and the Nets are not a physical team. And then they ran into a Milwaukee team that is physical, will be physical and can be physical. Am I going too far to say that like it, people should have seen this coming if only because in a lot of ways, the Celtics conceptually, I mean, obviously a talent here up from the bulls, but like, okay, the bulls, what do they want to do? Give it to DeMar, Zach Levine and let them like, work essentially what do the boston celtics do give it to jason tatum or give it to jalen brown to like wing guys who want to work okay that makes sense al horford uh his antecedent or his comparison is uh big vooch uh big guy big old slow guy who shoots threes that's about it okay and he will tire and he will start missing threes robert williams offers next to nothing on offense. Okay. That's another, <laughs> and, and added plus he's already going to be near the paint and Brooke Lopez doesn't have to go anywhere. So Brooke Lopez doesn't have to guess on the perimeter to like try and help shut down the defense. Okay, great. Bark is smart. Maybe the one fold because he can in theory sort of attack a team that gives him a bunch of space or he gets shot happy and he like shoots really poorly from three. Like, a lot of what the Celtics do, they do it as obviously a higher level simply based on the personnel than what the Bulls do. But I, I think people probably slept on what the Bucks did to the Bulls. And yes, the Bulls are a travesty and a god-awful basketball team, but they are still a professional basketball team on some level, and the Bucks totally shut them out. The fact that they were able to bring that same exact thing to the Celtics, not like that surprising. Probably in my that's like when I was thinking about it, like it's not that surprising of a result. I don't think it's not necessarily surprising more in the. I don't know it would be this good. Like I figured Milwaukee would be physical, I think. And I figured Milwaukee's defense is what would carry them to win this series. But the fact that they seem that dialed, like I cannot think Milwaukee from tip off 
that was an that was probably the best defensive performance we've seen from the Bucks all season, and they did it right from the jump. And I think that's the part that kind of surprised me. There wasn't you know a betting in period. There wasn't a okay even the third quarter, which wasn't the best in terms of the Bucks' performance. They still were able to kind of do it. And I think that's where I mean I think they allowed 24, 22, 24, 19. That's how much they allowed each quarter, and a lot of that came down to this is the plan. We're not going to let them get into a rhythm. Like we're not going to let Tatum get into a rhythm. We're not going to let Brown get into a rhythm. We're gonna if they want to have Marcus Smart and Al Horford take the majority of threes, so be it. If they want to drive Jason Tatum out to three, so be it. If they want Peyton Pritchard to be the guy that's going to have it, sure. And there is going to be a game this series, I'm sure, that Boston's role players are going to hit these shots. I I think they're going to make some adjustments, but. Milwaukee's plan was simply, we're not going to let them get to the paint. And they did that. And then with Drew and Javon and Wes, it makes it even better that you can hit the point of attack so much earlier. So I, I it's not necessarily surprising that Milwaukee was doing this or that they were able to do it. I think it was just more surprising how good it was right from tip-off. It's so it's so hard. There's so many days between games. Like I, I talked myself into five different narratives about how this was going to go. So it's it's so nice to have something under our belt. I was I was watching with a friend, and I di- I, I did say right before the game, I was like, you know, we're we're like one kind of iffy shooting performance away from saying. So the Celtics after Tatum, they're kind of they're a little iffy, right? They're kind of full of some like role players who you aren't totally super dependent on, and I I guess. You could sometimes say, I, but like the issue is, I don't think you can say that stuff about the Bucks because the Bucks you saw them perform last year. Like you saw Bobby Portis in the finals last year. You're not going to be like saying that stuff about him or Brooke Lopez. And I think that's kind of what we saw today. The physicality was was so true. It was it was crazy at halftime. Buck, I think the the Celtics, you know, the Celtics were dominating the possession game at halftime. They were you know, the Bucks had turned the ball over. The Celtics had a better offensive rebound rate. I think it was like 22 percent to 17 percent. In the second half, Bucks totally flipped it. So they won the turnover battle. Celtics ended up having 18 turnovers. Bucks had 27 points off of those. Bucks have 14 turnovers. Celtics only have six points off those. That is crazy. No, no one would guess that after watching the first quarter that that's how the game would end up. And if you look at the second half alone, Bucks have a 35% offensive rebound rate, which is you know essentially what kind of what they did that carried them to the championship last year. Brooke Lopez who normally does not get that many rebounds, 10 rebounds in this one. I mean, he was fighting like hell to prevent the Celtics from, from getting offensive rebounds, from attacking on the glass too much. It was, it was so physical. And, and I mean, it, it had to be night and day for them. Like Bobby Portis, anytime he gets someone slightly smaller than him and he gets post position, that little floater that he has is, is just money right now. And he looks he looked so supremely confident just stepping into any sort of shots they have. And it was it was just a really interesting contrast to see that and as a fan feel sort of utmost confidence in, oh, okay, this is this is a good shot for Portis. And then on the other end, for the Celts, you have to kind of be going a little like, oh, that's looking a little creaky right now. Like, oh, we're relying on Pritchard to do a pull-up three. I don't know about that. So you, you really saw, I thought, the difference between the two teams in just experience. And like you said, Kyle, I mean, they were dialed in from the start. It, it was, it's not even the experience factor. Cause I mean, I, I think Riley mentioned like the Celtics kind of seem to be a better version of Chicago in terms of you got two guys, they're going to take the shots and you hope someone else can chip in. 
the, I would say Boston obviously is better defensively than Chicago was, but Brooke Lopez having four offensive rebounds and there were more of the tip and variety, or there are plenty of times where someone would like, I think Grayson Allen would have a moment where he would be able to like bat the ball back to the, you know, whether it was Drew or Pat Connaughton, like there were so many moments where the hustle plays just kept going in Milwaukee's favor. And again, in that second half, that's when it really stood out because I think at that point, the Celtics were just so banged up and they were so caught off guard that Milwaukee's hustle plays really stood out. Because, yeah, the first quarter was just more of a, there's a lot of frantic energy. Both teams weren't necessarily at their sharpest. You know, there were plenty of dumb turnovers from the Bucs. There were some dumb turnovers from the Celtics. And then it seems like after that first quarter, Milwaukee was able to settle down. And then they were still able to keep that physical intensity. And, I, yeah, I don't know what you do if you're Boston, to be honest. Like, I'm again, there's going to be a game or two where they're going to shoot 40% from three, and it's going to be annoying. But in terms of the core game plan, I know Mitchell asked like in our chat, like what counter do you do if you're Boston? It's like, I don't know what you do because you either need to hope that you can get better penetration on Giannis and Brooks interior presence. You better hope that West Javon and drew maybe get a little, maybe get a few more fouls called so that they can't be as physical at the point of attack you maybe hope that Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton don't shoot the ball up. Like, I, I don't know what true tactical adjustments you can make besides a couple of like 50, 50 things going your way. Because I, I think, like I said, with how Budenholzer had this defense set up, it's going to be very tough to kind of break it down. It's going to like, this is not one of those games for Boston where you can kind of look and say, Oh, okay. we, we shot poorly or, you know, the Bucks shot really, really well. It's like not really the Bucks shot 12 of 34 and they only made two threes in the second half. Like the, the Bucks were two of 14 of the second half shooting for three. I, that's a really tough thing to bank on it. I got the Celtics shot 18 of 50. Are you really going to try and take 53s and hope that you shoot better than that? I, that's not a good, that's not a good gamble. Like I said, you're just going to have to hope that you're, Shot makers hit shots, and I think Jalen Brown is going to struggle in this series because I think Tatum ha- is probably going to have a bounce-back game. I, I could see Tatum having a bounce-back game, but with Jalen Brown, he's just small enough now that you can put Drew on him, you can put Javon Carter on him, you can put Wes on him, and he's already battling some kind of hamstring injury. He's not at 100%. Now Smart's not at 100%. That's going to put a lot of onus on these other guys, and you're, what, going to hope that Al Horford can turn the clock back 10 years? I don't think that's going to work for them. So that, I, again, Milwaukee did everything they needed to. And as long as they just continue to take care of the ball and make smarter decisions on offense, I feel really good about their odds in the series. And I said they would win at seven because, like I said, there's going to be a game or two where annoying shooting variables happen. But in terms of a scheme standpoint, not sure, not, not sure what boss could really do that could significantly like alter the series. To be fair, I, I went over to Celtics blog because I'm petty and I, I dove into the comment <laughs> section. It seems like Celtics fans are a little at a loss too because a lot of the comments, the message was like, you know, you gotta, they, they got us, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and go back at them. Like, okay. I mean, that's not really After a strategy, right? chanting refuse suck for half of the game, I, I don't want to hear that. Well, and the difficult part for Boston, and it's as the as we saw with the Bucks, you can go down like a couple of games and still come back. But the difficult part for Boston is 
you don't want to like overreact in the immediate after the first game. You don't want to overreact. But if Milwaukee's formula is that much more superior to your like slightly tweaked formula and you go down two games, I mean, we went down two games a lot, but we were like the road team in those games. And then we eventually adjusted to lose both your home games and then go on the road to try and make a big adjustment. I mean, that's that's if it works. So that's like the difficult spot that the Celtics are in. And I do want to come around. I want to ask you guys a question. Is Mike Budenholzer the greatest coach in NBA history when he has eight guys he can play with just <laughs> eight guys? Because he amazing with the rotations, the timeouts. This is the Budenholzer that like it went a long way to guiding this team from also rans to champions last year. Was like his game management on our title run last year, big part as to why we were able to succeed. We 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 lost Dante. We went down to essentially like seven or eight guys. Bud had to be on top of it. He was today. He has eight guys on top of it. The timeouts were timely. The, the, like you like, look at the starting lineup. You're like, well, crap, their only big man off the bench is like Serge Ibaka. And he's been essentially cold for weeks and weeks at this point. And yet the rotation management, make sure we always have a big man out there. Like Brooke Lopez plays 28 minutes. Bobby Porter's 32 minutes. That's like a regular season game. Like none of that is all that surprising. And yet, we're able to counter the fact that the Celtics have two big men that they rely on for a lot of stuff in Horford and Williams with not that much of a problem and same issue for the Celtics. I mean, who do they have for a big man coming off the bench? Uh, Grant Williams, who is gives up a, a foot of height to like either of those guys. So, I mean, I want to give a shout out to Budenholzer because we've seen it time and again, game one is always like, ah, maybe we're iffy came out. Plan was great. Execution, great rotation, great game management, great, everything about it. I want to, you know, and this is where the chess match, I put this in the staff round table, watch this between him and Udoka for like how that coaching matchup goes because Boonholzer, we've had criticisms, but he's been on a pretty good heater in the playoffs for a while. And this is the first time around for the Celtics coach. So what does that like end up playing out as well? So that's, I just wanted to give a shout out to that because it's easy to look at all the players, but like, look at how well they played. Boonholzer is a, a really large part in all of that as well. Yeah, I, I think Boonholzer, and he also managed his rotation in this game very, very well. Like, he did take Drew out earlier than I had expected, and that was fine because he still kept Giannis in there. I think he did a really good job at keeping one of Giannis or Drew on the court. Like, I don't think there was ever a lineup that didn't have either of them until garbage time. And even with Brooke Lopez, he was he probably, Brooke probably could have played a little bit more, but I think just with how Boston was lining up, Milwaukee going smaller seemed to be the seemed to be the right decision. I think, and again, he limited it to eight. He had it to eight, and part of that is by choice. Could he have thrown Serge Ibaka out there? Maybe, like, but otherwise, there's not really much you can criticize Budenholzer. And if anything, this was again another example of how Budenholzer the last two. I think since the bubble, he really has done a great job the last two postseason even in game five against the nets which i was pretty damn close to saying okay we got to get rid of him blow it all up like it is what it is like he's done everything and sometimes play random is what milwaukee needs to do but i think there is a method to what he is trying to do and i i think how he managed the rotation as well especially with Giannis getting those two dumb fouls like 
He took him that out. Was, that, he was like, that was the diciest portion of the game for sure. Because they had like four to five minutes stretch at the end of the third quarter. It was like, how are we? It's like a 10 point game. How are we going to get through this? And everybody from coaching staff down did a really good job. And it was still the right choice. Like, I think it was the right choice. Like, Giannis was definitely not dialed. I don't want to say dialed a bit. You know, when you commit back to back fouls, it's like, okay, get him out. I don't need him getting a fifth. By the time we get to the fourth quarter, we have Bobby, we have Brooke, we have enough size interior. To get through it, Drew is out there. Drew lead, you're gonna have to take over and lead it. And yeah, it was a little dicey in terms of Milwaukee's offense, but it was. I, I think that's still the. It was that is an example of Boonholzer making the right call. It was it risky, yes. Did it make complete sense, yes. Yeah, I. I mean, I think that's where Boston, frankly, probably lost the game. They're they're down by six. There's three minutes left in the third quarter, and the Bucks win those minutes. They're plus two in them. That's. That's where you lose. That's how you lose these types of games. And yeah, I the, major credit to Budenholzer. He didn't screw around. Giannis, 38 minutes, could have easily probably gotten up to like 42, 44 without those breaks, without the personal fouls in there. So so Bud wasn't messing around. He's like, yeah, you have to play a ton of minutes. Always keeps one on the floor. Kept Brooker, Giannis on the floor at all times. I think it's kind of interesting. He had Grayson Allen play the most out of all the players on the bench. I think he earned it after his performance in the first round. I was curious how he would look here. I thought he did a really nice job digging as a help defender, forcing some of those steals. Even as an on-ball guy, I thought he was pretty dogged in his his pursuing guys and making them work. Sometimes he didn't quite finish off plays, or he might have gotten, you know, I would say, sometimes a little bit unlucky with some calls on, on some of those plays as well. But I thought, overall, a, a really good first performance for him in a much more difficult test uh th- this time around so cr- credit to him i mean the fact that he was able to take uh robert williams out of dribble oh, and just like yes. freeze him right there and then get a nice little floater <laughs> off like that was oh. that was a great Allen player where it's just like this is great this is great also shout out john horse you tried training for robert williams i get why you did that wasn't it great also huh it was Grant Williams, wasn't it? Was it? I thought it was Robert Williams. Because I was like, I get it. I get why boot I get why Horse was trying <laughs> to trade Dante and a bunch of scraps for it. Like if 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 Horse had pulled that off, I they would have had to build the statue, but maybe it was Grant Williams. Either way, I was hoping it was Robert Williams because I'd be like, Yeah, that makes complete sense. In 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 our history on this podcast, it was Robert Williams. Uh with Grayson Allen, which you so like the comparison is with Dante, which you lose in terms of finesse on like going around picks and stuff, you make up for with way more physical play. Like Grayson Allen hounding Derek White up the floor. Like Grayson Allen getting ended up getting a foul called on him, but he like shoulder like shouldered him once, came back around, shouldered him again. Like you're not going to get like an easy setup here. And so, yes, there is the fear a little bit of like, oh, is Grayson going to get played off the floor? One hasn't happened yet. We've done a good job. Like, look, you go hang out on. Marcus Smart, he's not going to like beat you off the dribble. That's not what Marcus Smart does. And then in the playoffs, when it's like, look, you got to be willing to throw yourself into something. Dante was like the most allergic to contact player I've seen in a very long time. Grayson Allen is not that. And sure, maybe you can question like which one's more valuable, but that is something that he brings that's a little bit different. And probably, you know, in this where it starts going to the Celtics second and third tier guys if you're second and third tier guy, like you don't have to worry about finessing them. Just like keep mucking it up again. And Grace analysis is perfect for that. So uh, yes, he, he, he earned his minutes for sure. Damn. It was great. It was Dennis Schroeder and Grant Williams that horse was trying to trade Dante for. 
Dude, that would have been fucking awesome. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was like, that would have been, been insane, insane trade. <laughs> I got to I got to stop swearing on these things. Okay. So if you guys will indulge, I, so this, this was interesting. I mean, all the talk coming into this series, there was no Chris and all the talk has been about the Celtics sort of all switching defense, how it's a lockdown defense, number one in efficiency. If you look, their offense as well, though, has been, you know, number one or number two in offensive efficiency since January 1st. So, I got a question from uh, the crowd. My dad sent me this question after the game, and I, he asked me to say it on the pod, so I, I thought I would ask it here. Does this game say more about, A, how underappreciated the Bucks are, B, how overrated the Celtics were, C, how bad the Nets were? What all of the above. D, all of the above. going off script. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it has to be. De- I think Boston's defense was much better in the turn of the calendar year. I will grant that, but it also was a very. It doesn't work against a team like the Bucks, where they just have so much more size that Boston cannot match with, and I think we saw that. I think Milwaukee's offense, which I had some concerns, more because it would have relied more on like a Grayson Allen a Bobby Portis, a Pat Connaughton to hit their shots as opposed to, I figured Giannis and Drew were going to do what they need to. You could always go to Brooke if you need to get points down low, but it's, if you can't hit your shots, that's where Chris would always seem to come in handy. Chris would be able to hit that shot. So I figured Milwaukee's offense would, it would be a little dicey. And the Nets just aren't good. Like, as we saw, the Nets just suck. So D, all of the above. Uh, agree spiritually, but if I was to stick within the three, <laughs> the, the, I'm not the doing line, that. Yeah, if I was to stick within the lines of the three, to me, I would say, oh man, you know, you want to say it. You know, you well, I, I almost want to. <laughs> this is tough. I want to s- say it was people overrating the Celtics, and that has to do with C because. Um, obviously the Nets are god awful, and they're they're just an idiotic, stupid team. Uh, we we they had like one of the greatest isolation performances of all time against us, and they also lost, and that was just not going to hold once things went south of them this year. But the thing with the Celtics was like, okay, so people bought into the Celtics because yes, they had like a lot of good numbers. That's not you know that's not putting anybody down for that. But this was like a classic case of back end of the year. Um, Jason Tatum's obviously like really reaching like a different level for his game offensively. And then it's just like a lot of try hardy stuff, like switching a whole bunch usually works against just like random ass teams on a Wednesday night or whatever, if you have like the right amount of commitment to it. But once you start seeing a team like the Bucks, where a switching defense is like predicated on having like a lot of opportunities to switch, uh, Bucks sort of do that, but like they invite the switch. Like the number of times that in the game they were like, okay, Drew, uh, just do a quick switch on Al Horford and kind of like let the offense clear out and then attack. Like we just did that over and over again. Giannis, you're just going to essentially take the ball, sit up above the break, wait for the defense to clear out and go for it. You neutralize what the Celtics do. And then I was talking about this before the podcast. I'm not going to probably get as heated, but there seemed to have been very little in the way of analysis of what the Celtics do besides Jason Tatum. Good. Like, man, come on. I could, I could sort of say that, I guess. And we're saying that without the caveat of 
the primary defender against him for the Nets was like Seth Curry. Come on, man. Like, I know people don't like watching the Bucks, and I know that we were iffy for most of the year, but even like stupid people should understand that Brook Lopez wasn't there and he's been a different beast coming back. And we won a title for a reason. And yes, we're missing Chris. And you know, that that matters more so on the offensive end, like defensive and you know, he he's fine, but he doesn't play a key role. Like you how do you watch the Nets who are lackadaisical? They have no heart whatsoever. They're more abomination than basketball team. Be like, wow, that was really impressive that they had to gut out four wins that they were like borderline lost a couple of those games to the Nets. And then they come in here and like, well, Jason Tatum scored like 29 points. Like, okay. And what does that mean? Tell me how they're going to slow the Bucks down because I didn't hear any analysis from anybody besides the most rudimentary, like this guy score much, very good. Come on, like, can I get a little bit more from analysts out who are getting paid a bunch of money to like ostensibly watch the team communicate to me at home what it is that makes the Celtics great? Because I didn't hear a whole bunch outside of, as Adam said, they switch. What does that mean? How does that counter to what Milwaukee does? We have already had a couple of games without Chris. We have an idea what they're going to do. Tell me what that means. So uh, to me, I think it was overrating the Celtics. Obviously, things could go slightly differently. Maybe Jalen Brown doesn't have as bad of a game shooting. Maybe that's all the difference they need. But this game going in quite obviously was a factor of we're down a guy and we do this to you. It, clearly, you're the overrated team. Like, it's it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, and it's well, it's interesting because in that that series, it I think where everyone's like, oh, they're switching. I mean, other than game one, Katie and Kyrie were awful. Like they were not hitting shots, they were not efficient. So I think that's where a lot of that, and maybe that did feel the maybe the Celtics are overrated. They saw that series and was like, oh, they pretty much Katie did not play well, Kyrie did not play well. Okay, they can do that, and those any meeting when you have a guy like KD. If he can't, if he's going to struggle and the Celtics can do this, then what is Milwaukee, who just lost their best ISO score, who just lost a guy that has historically torched this team? Maybe that's where all that analysis was coming from, but it, it felt like a lot of, like you said, Riley, what what are they going to do to stop the Bucks? And kind of like what I'll say, like, yeah, it can work against a Brooklyn where it's two guys and you can, and they're more finesse style players. What happens when the other team has a guy that? is just going to shoulder ram you and you're not going to do anything. And oh yeah, he's like 6'4". Like it's your holiday. Like it's a guy that it's not Giannis that you think of like, okay, he's just going to barrel down. He can just knock you off with his shoulder and get a layup. Like Drew Holiday is able to, like everyone on the court is able to do that. And even Javon Carter was able to exploit the Celtics switching and kind of get ISO and get some dribble penetration on them, which Javon Carter is doing that. I don't know. That's not looking good for you. So, yeah, I think a lot of that was also by the, oh, Katie and Kyrie played poorly, so therefore Boston's defense is going to be able to do that to Milwaukee. Well, and this is a classic case, too, of everybody falls for, like, some of the stupider truisms, right? So, okay, what's the analysis? Chris Middleton is out. Chris Middleton is an isolation scorer. Isolation scores are good. Therefore, the Bucs are going to be bad. Man, we're past having that. Have you not watched Giannis for years now? We are past needing to have specifically an isolation scorer to play well. He is so far beyond what everybody else is conceiving of what a basketball player does that is disrespectful to him and is disrespectful to anybody at home who doesn't watch a lot of Bucks games and comes to these people for like, what's happening here? Why is Giannis great? They get nothing about what Giannis does. 
And I don't know what the Celtics are thinking, because apparently they also didn't have a plan, but they got run over the same exact way. And Giannis doesn't have a good game one scoring wise. I mean, he's excellent as he usually is. And it's only going to get worse from here. So that's what's most frustrating is. So yes, it is literally everything. It is A, B, and C, <laughs> mostly B, but A as well, because like how, how many times does Giannis have to do this where people think, we're past needing to have Chris be like the isolation scorer to help pick Giannis up. Giannis is evolved. He's not Giannis of 2019 or 2018, where it's like, I remember like the Raptors series, like, oh, you could see what he was doing, but there was limitations. The only limitation was like his own skill set. He's grown that. He's like way past whatever everybody else is uh, thinking. And people see a Jason Tatum show up and like do what he usually does, but like score more. And all of a sudden, he's the next big thing. Come on, get out of my face with that, really. Let's show a little respect for what Giannis is able to do. I, I think I the say. thing that made me laugh the hardest is when you go to Celtics blogs preview and they're doing their roundtable, they're kind of saying they're like, oh, yeah, Celtics in five, Celtics in six. Based off of what? Like one person said, like, oh, yeah, we'll just funnel shots to uh, Drew Holiday and Grayson Allen. Yeah, Chicago did that as well, and that got them absolutely torch like i don't know why like is making grayson allen beat you probably a better strategy than most sure but to act like oh yeah it's only grayson allen it's like no you you cannot think that is going to be a sleepwalk like someone's like oh yeah Giannis is going to get his 20 and 10 it, you know no <laughs> chris rude. middleton how so they're going to be able 20 and 10 come on right it was it was just one of those where it's like i don't know how the bucks generate enough offense it's easy you give the ball to dudes that are bigger than each and every one of those Celtics and bully the shit out of them to get in those points. If anything, the bigger question should have been, how is Boston going to generate enough offense on this Milwaukee's defense? And so far, the answer is no one knows. They don't have a clue. And I think a <laughs> lot of the people saw the, oh, Chris Middleton's out and figured, oh, yeah, it's going to be fine. Like Celtics are going to win the series. Like, well, no. If it like this, yes, Chris Middleton is needed on offense, but this isn't like if Drew Holiday was out, then I would be like, ooh, okay, yikes. Um, yeah, I would, I would feel less confident if Drew was out instead of Chris. But I, I don't know where this mindset of, oh yeah, the the Celtics are gonna be comfortably favored. It's like no, all you're telling me right now is you've been so scarred by Chris Middleton that him not being there makes you realize okay we're good we're in the clear it's fine no chris yeah who cares about that it's fine no problem it's like yeah that's not the main villain though that's the side villain the main villain is still Giannis, and he's gonna kick your ass one might say (laughs) yeah uh Uh, to be fair to the celtics blogs folk i did say bucks and five based on zero analysis and mostly on faith alone so i can understand where they were coming from for that Everybody's got to be a homer for their own team unless you're like Adam and you're you can, trying to be. You can objective. be a homer, but be a homer with some goddamn common sense. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Y- you know, hmm. I would say I, I would. There, yeah, what's, couple, what's your answer to your no, dad's no, question? You cannot you say, oh, yeah, Celtics in five because you're just going to funnel shots to Drew Holiday and Grace Allen. What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? <laughs> Adam, what's your answer to your dad's question? What would you say? I, I would say the answer is. A, because people were underrating how good the Bucks defense was because they sort of presumed the Bulls just sucked. And they didn't not see... A wrong, the, not, not too incorrect of a presumption. Not, not too incorrect, but also primarily because 
we, we had to hear all year about how the Bucks defense was sort of more around middle of the pack, even though they were missing sort of probably their most essential defensive player, as we as was evidenced by today. So I think I think it's probably underrated because people were presuming that this Bucks defense couldn't reach this level again. And frankly, they won the championship last year because of defense. They were a really historically poor offensive team when it, when you look at other championship teams. Uh, and even today, I mean, 101.3 offensive rating for the Bucks is not great, but the 89 defensive rating they posted is incredible, like 90s level insane stuff. The thing about the overrated Celtics stuff, like, you know, they're like I said, their defense did fine, but it seemed to fundamentally misunderstand what the last series was that Kyle was talking about. When I was watching KD in that series, I just frankly didn't understand what the hell was going on. Like what they're playing Daniel Tice and Al Horford. Why don't you just do what you did last year? Get fucking Bobby Portis on you and pull up for a shot. I mean, he was shooting like 10 attempts per game. It it just was a really bad series for him. And they, you know, believe that physicality was the reason that they were able to stop KD. And maybe that's why he was a little more passive, but that's not going to work against Giannis. That's not going to work against Brooke. That's not going to work against Bobby. That's not going to work against Drew. Like none of that stuff is going to work the same way. And I, I just didn't see the idea of an all switching defense. I just, I just didn't see any way that the Bucks wouldn't be able to potentially take advantage of mismatches like that. And frankly, the the Celtics did not do a great job of shading bodies in front of Giannis when he got leverage on on Al Horford. They they and you know whatever credit to them, he missed a lot of shots at the rim. I don't think that's going to keep working. Their their game plan seemed to be let's let Robert Williams just help over stop Giannis at the rim, even if he gets by Al Horford. We'll stick on the other shooters. I don't think that's going to work the whole series. So that that that's the one thing that I thought from today as well. We live in simultaneously like the smartest time in basketball in terms of analytics and everything, but also the dumbest time in basketball because some of the analysis or like the principles upon which some people it like look through the game. And part of that I think is driven by like a LeBron or as of late, everybody's huge darling for some reason, KD, you know, we brought back this thing of like being the isolation guy who gets up a lot of like tough shots and makes them that's what's valuable in the league or in the regular season. You're like, Oh, look at these, these big men, you know, Jokic, Giannis and Embiid. Well, you know, they, they all impact their team. So in such big ways, I mean, everybody has to understand it. And yet what makes it dumb is we're overlooking what makes Giannis like head and shoulders, a different player from all these other guys, like the jump shot, stupid jump shot thing is not there. And maybe that's not quote cool of him. Oh, well. And on like the defensive impact, like nobody talks about this. Uh, Jason Tatum, I was told heading into this again by these really well-paid <laughs> analysts that Jason Tatum had quote taken his defense to a new level. I don't remember like this is like Zach Levine all over again. I don't remember a single possession where he was really involved uh, effectively, and part of that is probably the Bucks, like whoever they're he's like assigned to guard. Um, and then like you think of a KD who does absolutely nothing on defense he's he's an open door on defense like i think of any of the other heavy jump shot guys who are like the it guy this time of year and they do almost next to nothing on defense and that's just not what Giannis does and and that's why it's trying to figure out are we underrated is the other time team overrated kind of a little bit of everything because like nobody's looking at like the basic principle of what Giannis is and understanding that being like that is the trump card to everything. It's literally everything you have out there. 
I, I think for me, it's just more when it comes to the playoffs, it's who is going to, th- who is a able to throw the punch and be able to take a punch and Milwaukee threw a punch. And I'm not going to say Boston can't take a punch, but that's what game two is going to tell me. Can Boston take that punch? Because Milwaukee just came out and punched him right in the face. Kind of like in 2019, when Boston came into Milwaukee and punched them in the face and Milwaukee was able to spawn, Boston's going to have to do the same thing. Because if you think you're going to be able to skate by on, okay, we shut down KD, like we're good. No, because again, Milwaukee is a team that's going to want to be physical. And you saw it from every single player. But it is still the nuts are just terrible. So, yeah, we, we thank we, you for the question, Mr. Paris. We really we. I yeah. hope you liked our answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was good. It, we did. We did. There did just seem to kind of be a collective forgetfulness that the last two teams that won the title wanted behind be going really big, going really large, commanding the offensive glass, being physical, and it worked in game one for the Bucks. So. Bucks win game one. I mean, you had Bucks in five, Riley. What What do you think for the outlook for the the rest of the series? Does your opinion change? At, does your opinion change from this performance? I should say. I'm now. I'm thinking it's Celtics in seven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest, I don't know. How we play better than this. Um, like I said, my prediction was mostly on faith. Uh, I definitely did. I expected them to lose game one for sure. I just expected them to adjust better and start playing better immediately in game two. Uh, I don't think that shifted all that much. I mean, obviously this is as good a result as you could imagine. I am curious how the Celtics adjust because there is going to be something um, that'll probably, I would almost wonder, it'll probably be how they try to set up their offense because trying to do the point of attack thing is just not working for them. So what do they do there? And I would not be surprised as much as I, I am loath to say that Jason Tatum is a good scorer. He has been a good scorer all year. And uh, he scored 21 points. Most of that was kind of like Garbo fourth quarter, like a couple of threes to get him back up in there. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have a good game. Jalen Brown has maybe a decent game or something. But I would still say Bucks in five feels pretty confident if the Celtics win game two off of an adjustment. Um, if the Celtics lose game two, it's looking like a potential sweep, to be honest with you. If if they if they come if honestly honestly if they come into game two, and because then they're gonna have to start th- look at the bench, look at the Celtics bench. Who are they going to pull off that bench to do oh, anything they, they, for? They now? were scared to play Daniel Tice, and he was essential against the Nets. I mean, I mean he was playing huge minutes, and he he could not see the floor. And well, they should not, be. Scared. You're not trusting Sam Hauser. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's it. They don't have a lot of options. Maybe you could move Grant Williams into the starting lineup or something and move one of the big men onto the bench. I don't know what that would change, but like if they lose game two, they're going to start getting radical with it. And we're probably not going to have to do a whole bunch. And that it's not game set match, but it's pretty damn close to that. So right now, Bucks and five, assuming, you know, they have like a good adjustment in game two, but things look pretty good for us, in my opinion, obviously. I had said Bucks and seven before the series had started. And again, that was more because was Milwaukee's offense going to do enough to support Giannis? So far, it's been a yes, but I, I figured the Bucks defense would be fine. They would have, I still think, I maybe will say more Bucks and six because now that you've gotten a game in Boston, as long as you can hold home court, you can win, like you can afford, like again, you can afford to lose a game too. 
You can go back, win games three and game four, maybe slip up in game five, but you can kind of come in and feel a lot better about closing the series in six. And there's going to be a game where a Peyton Pritchard is going to hit like four threes. There might be a game where if Marcus Smart is healthy enough, he'll have a, you know, four, seven night from three. Like there is still the potential for the role players for Boston to get a good shooting night. And I still think Jason Tatum is capable of having a bounce back type of game. I'm not as confident with Jalen Brown, but I, I think with Jason Tatum, he is capable of doing that. So yeah, I think now I'll say Bucks and six, just because Milwaukee's already done the hard part. You went into game one, you were dialed in and you came out with the win. So now you are forcing Boston to have to make these. Like I said, Milwaukee doesn't have to make any adjustments. They can keep doing what they did. And it that is still a recipe for success. And that's, again, you hit the shot. Like, Pat and Grayson hitting shots is going to be needed. Giannis is going to shoot better at the rim. It's just a matter of, will Boston have outlier shooting nights from their guys? And it's definitely possible. So, yeah, Bucks at six. I'm going to change it now. Adam, you had did you have it at Celtics and seven? That's not accusatory. I can't just can't. I did, I did. Said. Yeah, yeah. Did this performance change your opinion back onto the good guys side, or what are you thinking? Well, I, I, I just I will not change my prediction because I, I just am choosing not to do that, especially given that I picked the Celtics. I would be fucking weak sauce to go back and say now I think the Bucks are. Gonna <laughs> well, I think it. we're gonna sweep so, them now. <laughs> I, would, I would much rather have people tell me I suck and I should have picked the Bucks in the first place than say I think Bucks now. I, I mean, I was just, I was basically writing in a bad game one for the Bucks because it's just woven into the DNA seemingly. So I would say they have a pretty darn good shot now. I, I, this, this game kind of went to my script of how best it could go where I was envisioning. We, we've just, we've just seen the Celtics defense do so much stuff. This was basically exactly what I was picturing the Bucks being able to do in terms of puncturing it, even without Chris Middleton. And the defense was always going to be there. So I think you have to feel pretty good about the Bucks' chances. And frankly, I'm really excited that we won't, fingers crossed, hopefully, we won't have to hear any more about how the Bucks coughed up home court in uh, round two because they just took back home court here. So felt a little bit like karma for all of the uh, crap that the Bucks had to take from the, from the media over coughing up home court. Is it possible that Milwaukee was totally... I mean, I'm sure Milwaukee was fine with it, but also because it mentally forced them to take the Celtics... Not, not, like, I think they would have taken the Celtics seriously regardless, but I think it's one thing when you're playing Chicago and it's the Bulls, and it's really hard to you know be challenged by the Bulls. And then you go and, and face the Celtics where it's like, okay, this is going to be a team that can cause problems. This is a team you're going to go into Boston... It is going to be a more hostile arena. Like it is like maybe it forced Milwaukee to kind of be dialed in right from the get go as opposed. And I think if the Bucks had home court, it still would have been the same approach of, okay, the Celtics are a better team than Chicago. We cannot take them lightly. So that helps as well. Not play a team that, you know, you could just trounce over without actually having to try. I like to imagine Budenholzer and the coaching staff gather up like, so if we throw this game, we'll obviously just beat the hell out of the Bulls. And then obviously the guys have a motivation issue. So if we go into Boston, they'll know they'll have to play. <laughs> like, you know, I know Budenholzer, Budenholzer and all his conferences are like, ah, we don't, you know, we're going to compete. 
And that's essentially like what he says. But then actually with the coaching staff, it's like, so if we do this and then, you know, everybody clearly doesn't give a shit coming out of halftime. So if we go to an opposing arena, it'll be kind of like last year. And, you know, I, I like the 8D chess from Budenholzer. That's well, and it's kind of like, oh, we, we I mean, we handled Brooklyn and we were, you know, the three seed for that. We went to Phoenix and yeah, Phoenix was a much better team than any. They were the hot, toughest team we played and we beat them like we were able to win four straight. Like we could do this again. Like, pfft. Why would I? Who needs home court? <laughs> That's the attitude the Bucks have. This is a strange series. We're going to have three days off in between games two and games three. So there's going to be a lot of time for percolating narratives to, to simmer over in the interim. But until then, we are we are waiting for game two on Tuesday, game three on Saturday. We won't talk to you until after game three. So let's hope the Bucks are up uh, and continuing to roll the same way they did in games one. Game one. So go to brewhoop.com. We'll have all our usual coverage there. Monday morning media roundup. We'll have a uh, Vans grades after round two is concluded. Uh, make sure if you're interested in still reliving the Bulls series as well, that one's always fun. Kyle got as a, has a great perspective on the site. Uh, I wrote about flopping as well. So share the podcast with your friends. Sh- review it, please, if you're interested. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.